Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We have a rather small understanding of true worship. I'm not just talking about what we sort of prefer on Sunday mornings. I mean worship as a way of life. I'm guilty of it. It is embedded really into our churchly language. We call this our worship service, or sometimes we just shorthand it, worship. I'm going to worship. We have worship centers, previously called naves and sanctuaries. We put adjectives in front of worship, contemporary worship, traditional worship. It's become virtually impossible to understand worship as something other than a specific gathering of people at a specific time in a specific place. And that's not altogether bad. We do see in the Bible that there are indeed appointed times for the gathering of the assembly to come together and hear the word of God and sing spiritual songs and such. And as Lutherans, we talk about coming together to receive what God wants to give us in word and sacrament. Indeed, one of the real tragedies of this pandemic is precisely been that many people cannot gather and it is taking a toll on the spiritual lives of many. But Paul writes in Romans about a bigger vision of worship, and it is nothing less than presenting our entire lives to God as a spiritual sacrifice. This worship cannot be contained to an hour on Sunday morning. The worship uh, can't be contained even to one community. It sort of seems to follow you around wherever you go, and it calls you to resist worldly influences precisely so your worship can be pure and true. So let's look a little bit more at Romans 12. Romans 12 comes on the heels of Paul explaining that the church is the gathering of Jews and Gentiles alike. That's the main focus of Romans 11. He's pleading then for mutual upbuilding and cooperation. He's just gotten done saying that the Gentiles have been grafted onto the tree of Abraham. So there is no more distinction between Jew and Gentile as once was understood. 
So therefore, how do we live together? What does our common life look like? And of course, Paul talks about this in uh, in many other letters, but this is where he gets to it in Romans. Especially since the kind of sacrificial uh, worship that would have been so common entrenched really to to the pagans who had temples where they made sacrifices, but of course the Jews would go to Jerusalem and make sacrifices at that temple as well. Well, none of that is any benefit anymore in the wake of Christ. So what what does our worship look like now? Well, Paul answers, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Well, okay, but what does that mean? Well, he continues, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, this at least means we don't live then as spiritual zombies, right? We're not just instinctual animals going through life, consuming whatever anyone puts in front of us, assuming that all things are equally good or or valuable or, or wholesome. Rather, you discern, you question, you assume, in fact, that the world doesn't really have your best interests at heart. Rather, the world wants to use you, chew you up, and spit you out. So you have to be careful. In Paul's day, the ever-present reality of pagan worship would have been the world out of which Paul was calling his hearers. In our day, false religion, of course, remains ever-present, but it's also consumerism and mass advertising now tailored by your Google searches and Alexa and Siri listening in on your conversations. It may be politics or political ideas, right? These things can distract us. These things can come to be all important. These things can be what people are trying to get us to spend all of our time on rather than living a life, a whole life of worship, right? Political ideas, they can be wide-ranging in scope and seemingly as important as religious ideas and definitely more urgent. We are called, I believe, to actively reject everything that the world offers first and then let in what is acceptable, what is in accordance with our Christian worldview. We often have the opposite discipline. We absorb everything, including the Christian bits, and we sort of let it all mingle together and maybe we'll filter some other things out later. Paul says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that most definitely speaks then to the disciplines of not only putting in the scriptures, but keeping out the ideas of the world. You see, a lot of the other spiritual ideas that are really just the the very basic fabric of kind of religion in America today. I mean, if you're just a casual observer and you just kind of listen to what religious people say, it's kind of some mix of New Ageism and psycho-pop psychology, self-help, that sort of thing. Even in evangelical churches, I'm learning, that's becoming more and more the norm. And these New Agers and media types and best-selling authors, well, they're not really 
dangerous because they're mean people. They're dangerous because they do not renew your mind to Christ, but rather they'll turn your mind from Christ. So be very careful then what you consume, what you listen to, what you watch, what you read. It'll all influence you. And Paul is saying to discern it all with a very careful filter. And if you know who Christ is, well, then you'll be able to discern that much better. They say that if they are going to teach someone who can detect counterfeit currency, for example, what they'll teach them is the real deal. You have to learn the real thing in perfect detail. You have to know everything there is to know about a dollar bill or a $20 bill or, or what have you. So that when you're looking at the fake thing, you can see the difference. You don't really study the fake thing. You know the real thing. And so if we know who Christ really is, the Christ really portrayed in the scriptures, well, then we will be able to identify those who oppose Christ, those who teach something different from Christ, even if they do so with popular support or a smile on their face or with promises to make our lives better. Now, Paul goes on and as a reminder, what he is describing is worship as a way of life, right? Worship in our daily living out of our gifts, not just an hour that we spend together on Sunday. He goes on to encourage humility and the diversity of gifts. These are themes we see throughout Paul in other letters. In Philippians, he speaks a great deal about humility in the body. And then in 1 Corinthians, he writes at great length about the different gifts that we have, and being one body but many members. And the encouragement here is very simple. We serve one another in community according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So guess what? You, you all have been assigned gifts by God, and you are all differently gifted. You're all the same in terms of your value and dignity before God, but you all have different gifts, and what are those gifts? Well, he describes them here. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. The teacher in teaching. The exhorter in exhortation. The giver in generosity. The leader in diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. Now, we could spend an hour going through each one of those. There are all kinds of spiritual tests or spiritual gift tests online. Just Google that and I'm sure you could fill something out. Just don't fill out the Enneagram. I'm learning that that's a, a, a no-no. Stay away from that. Uh, we're going to do a radio show on that soon. But anyway, um, but spiritual gifts, uh, sure, you, you all have them, and you there might be a good way to figure out what those are. But maybe for right now, you can just simply listen again to those and ask which ones might describe you. Prophecy. Well, not as in any of you are the prophet Isaiah, but we would understand that now as understanding and explaining the scriptures. Ministry, as in serving other people. Teaching or applying the word of God to everyday life. Exhorting, as in helping others live consistently with their professed Christian values. That's what Paul is doing when he exhorts the communities. Giving as in sharing to support the work of the church and the kingdom of God. Leading, 
as in willing to take on projects and being willing to bear the cost of leadership. Or compassion, as in reflecting the love of Christ with those around you. You see, a lot of those are not Sunday morning types of gifts. But I wanted to highlight this text because of how easily and casually we can use the word worship. And I simply wanted to lift up that our worship of Christ does not end with a service on Sunday morning, as important as these times together are. Indeed, our worship of Christ should be a life-consuming venture because of who Jesus is. But worship is also more than just what we do and what we offer and what we sacrifice. I've already kind of indicated worship is is more, and we tend to think of worship as what we do. I and mean, I've just kind of laid it on. It's not just Sunday morning, like it's, it's your whole life. So you're probably feeling extra burdened right now. Well, actually, in the Lutheran understanding of worship, we also receive when we worship. Specifically, when we gather, we talk about the reception of word and sacrament. Christ is here among us. We're among each other. Christ is present in the bread and the wine at the Lord's Supper. You see, these are what God gives us to feed our souls, right? The word is... The word is living and active, like some small children. Uh, The word is living and active, so every believer will hear it and be changed upon its hearing. Likewise, in tangible stuff, water and bread and wine, we believe that, that Christ is really here among us. We receive those things in worship. You should always leave a worship service more full than when you arrived. Likewise, a sacrificial life, like the one Paul talked about, spiritual worship, living out of the gifts. Well, that one is also a more full life than one that merely seeks pleasure. This this week we looked at Proverbs 1 uh, in our home, and I love this line. Thus are the ways of all who are greedy for gain. It will take the life of its possessors. You see the irony? Someone who's greedy, they look to take from other people, but what the Solomon says is, actually, it takes your life. Greed takes your life. And of course, that's what Jesus said, right? If you want to keep your life, then you must lose it. But if you try to keep it, then you'll lose it. So if you give it away, you gain your life, in other words. So wherever and however and whenever you truly worship, you actually will receive more than you give. That is how God designed worship of himself. Because God is himself, the one who has given all to us. And this leads me to our gospel lesson this morning, but wouldn't you know it, I've already gone on for so long. Allow me just to say this. Matthew 16 is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We often make this text about Peter, because he was the one to make the bold confession. But it's a confession of Christ, of who Jesus is, how Jesus is the Messiah. And later on in Matthew 16, Jesus says to the disciples, 
you know, I will need to be uh, crucified. And on three days later, I'll rise. And Peter says, no, 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 I won't allow that to happen. And then you probably know Jesus says, he just says to, he just says to, in our reading today, well, you know, you are the rock and on this rock, I'll build my church. Well, later in Matthew 16, you know, he says, well, get behind me, Satan, right? We believe in the Lutheran church that the rock is the confession that Peter makes, the confession, the confession about who Jesus is, about how he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, not Peter, the man. So this text is all about Jesus and who Jesus is. And Jesus is one worthy of our worship because as he says later in Matthew 16, he gives. He is the one who will be crucified and risen from the dead. So I guess, in a sense, worship is way more than we tend to think of it. For it is not just our time together for one or two hours. But it is also way less than we tend to think of it. For when we truly worship God, we find that we receive more than we give. Amen.